Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, 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 everybody, to another segment of the Brown Sugar and Spice Show. I'm your host, Dr. Faye, and tonight we will be talking to Senator Marlon Kempson on why your vote matters. It's an especially important show tonight dealing with the upcoming elections. And so we're going to talk about why your vote matters, especially the Black vote, understanding the election process, and also just talking politics in general. Without further ado, let me get my co-host on the line, Ms. Kaiish Liburd. Good evening, everyone. I hope all is well. Just a reminder, if you're in Florida, you have six additional days to register to vote due to Hurricane Matthew. So get out there, get registered, and make sure you get to vote. So, Kaiish, you know I normally ask you this question. So what's going on on the West Coast? Oh, fall showed up today, so it was a little overcast, the weather's changing, but the people are still sunny, so it's all good. Good, good. So have you been watching the elections? Um, have I been not watching, and it's hard not to. I think it's it permeates everything, whether it's reactions to statements from candidates or questions and queries of candidates or the chasing of the tax returns, you know, there's always something. I agree. Well, you know, this is a very historic election. We have the first female candidate on any ticket running for president. Then, of course, we also have Trump, who is, well, you know, what can you say, Trump? He's unique in in himself. So um, I'm looking forward to the conversation tonight with uh, Senator Marlon Kempson talking about why we should vote, especially the millennials who seem to be dismayed by the election process building disenfranchised as if their vote doesn't matter. Well, I'm looking forward to it. And hopefully you can shed some insight onto the importance of getting out and voting, even if you feel like, you know, you can't necessarily identify with either either candidate. But, you know, just knowing that abstaining from the voting process still affects your life and you aren't excluded from the impact of political policies. Absolutely. The voting process only registers frustration if you vote. It only registers preference if you vote. The indifference, the apathy, not counted. Sorry. (laughs) Absolutely. So let's get our guest on the line, Senator Kimson. Senator Kimson, are you there? Uh, good, 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 Good to be with you this evening. Thank you. Thank you for coming on to the show. Really appreciate your presence. Thank you for having me. So I usually like to start with my guests to uh, give the listeners a little bit of background information, you know, where you went to school, how you get started in politics. Yeah. 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 So I am uh, I'm from Columbia, South Carolina, which is the capital of South Carolina. I graduated of Morehouse College in Atlanta, Georgia. I'm a Morehouse man, in other words. And um, then I took a detour after Morehouse to go into banking. Um, And, you know, in life, you got to find a calling. And banking was not my calling. And so, uh, like my brother, my oldest brother, I ventured into the field of law, went to the University of, of South Carolina Law School, 
and then after leaving there, I clerked for a federal judge, the first African-American federal judge in South Carolina, Matthew J. Perry, Jr. And now I am a partner at a uh, mass tort class action firm uh, named Motley Rice LLC, and we do um, – as I mentioned, mass tort and class actions, and I do uh, securities litigation, so I represent a lot of public pension funds uh, to help recover losses when they lose money in the stock market due to fraud. And so in uh, you probably want to get to politics, and so um, I was not a I'm, – I'm still not a politician. I, I, I like to say that politics is not a profession. I think we need more professionals in politics so that they can bring shared experiences uh, inside the state legislature and make better policy. Uh, I happen to – there happened to be an open Senate seat in my district due to the vacancy of my predecessor who pled guilty to some crimes. And uh, I thought the seat was too important, a Senate seat representing 130,000 people, um, uh, to go uh, unrepresented by someone who didn't have uh, the people's interest at heart. So I, I am in my third I complete, I just completed my third year uh, in the state Senate. Uh, I was recently reelected uh, in a primary. Uh, by 80% of the vote on the general election ballot, but I don't have any opposition. And so if everything goes well, I will serve a four-year term, uh, an additional four years in the Senate starting January. So congratulations on your re-election. So I definitely want to get into politics. So, of course, I'm a millennial. My co-host is a millennial. And We've noticed a lot of dissent among our peers in regards to voting. And a lot of them feel like they can't trust politicians or they feel as if somehow policies don't seem to impact their lives because no policies are really geared towards helping African-Americans. So what can politicians do to regain the trust um, of many African-Americans, especially young voters, in upcoming elections? Specifically, the presidential election. So, I think um, I'm glad to speak to your audience, and I hope everyone is paying attention to this. uh, Who has uh, who has expressed that apathy? Um, All you have to do is look at the current affairs of this nation, with respect to uh, the uh, interaction with law enforcement in the community. Uh, health care opportunities, uh, lack of access to capital. Um, and these are issues that the millennials um, are, are facing currently. And the only way to uh, 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 drive the conversation is to participate at television. And, and it seems that we, uh, our young people are engaged. Um, but uh, particularly when it comes to some of the things that are happening around our communities. And it's good to demonstrate. I mean, we would not have made substantial progress under the civil rights movement had there not been public demonstrations. But history tells us that we have to engage in the political process to make policy. And so while it's good to hold up a picket sign or stand uh, in protest in the street, uh, we also have to make sure that we get out and vote. An example of that was Ferguson, uh, where you know it was a majority African American town, but most of the representation on city council was was white. But after uh, the Michael Brown uh, incident, that changed because people actually voted. Um, I uh, live in a state where we have a number of issues. As you know, um, we were uh, we had the shooting of Walter Scott Jr. in my Senate district, District uh, 42. Um, but what happened after that was uh, we had to 
um, um, get some policy and legislation put in place that led to the passage of the uh, first statewide body camera bill uh, in, in the nation. And so now we have a requirement. That only happened because people were engaged. Had we not been engaged in the process, then the level of transparency that body cameras offer never would have been reality in South Carolina. Another example, just 90 days after that, or within 90 days, we took down the Confederate flag. Again, another political uh, vehicle that we were able to exercise because we had legislators at the table trying to pass policy initiatives uh, as a reaction to the issues that young people are most concerned about. So, so the second part of your question is, what can we do as public officials? Well, um, just having run a campaign, there are a lot of new tools out. We really, it's incumbent upon elected officials to engage the millennials. Uh, and you guys, uh, you know, by the way, I'm not, I'm not that old. I'm, I'm uh, 47 years old, so I'm not that far from you. Um, I am using social media in a a way that I've never used it before. It is a very powerful communication tool. I mean, as I was canvassing across my district. Uh, I was using a uh, live book feature. There was a town hall that I did where we did not have scope. Um, and so we have to use tools that young people use to engage them and make it uh, inviting for people who have historically uh, not participated in the process, make it an inviting uh, say they want to so there is one level of engagement with the young people in the uh, in the campaigning process. But what do you personally do in the way of stewardship of your uh, citizenry and, and your supporters to make sure that they feel heard and feel that the engagement continues throughout the term? Well, um, I think you. I mean, I'm very in the Senate district. Um, recognize people don't even know what a state sense is. A lot of there are us uh, that live in my district that think I my the halls of Congress that is where I operate out of in Washington D C they don't distinguish between what happens at the state level, uh the city level, uh the county level versus Congress. So the first thing that we have to do is take the message to the people and explain uh, our system of government such that people know who's responsible for what. And one of the first things I did when I took office is I had a town hall meeting um, where I walked through what are responsibilities, what the responsibilities of a state senator were. Who do you call for what? Um, and uh, I find that, um, you know, not, not just the millennials, um, but also a, a significant number of older Americans don't distinguish. Now, as a public service, as a public servant, city council or county council, uh, I'm, uh, I'm sort of a facilitator to make sure that that request gets handled by the appropriate there is an issue I have formed part. I'm a Liberty Fellow, which is part of the Action Global Network, and it's a group of people that try to the quality uh, of life of uh, our fellow man across the globe. And one of our we have to do a project, and our project has been to Senator on. Yes. Senator, sorry. Yeah, we're having trouble um, hearing you. I think your phone's going in and okay. out. Okay. Uh, can you hear me now? Oh, it's a little bit better. Okay. Move over. Uh, that's the cell 
for you. Can can you hear me better now? Yes. So I have a liberty. I have a project where I mentor high school students and I teach them about the different levels of responsibility at the governmental level because I find that a number of our students just have no clue as to civics is probably not as big of a subject as it was at one time, and so I'm. I'm 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 mentoring students on the responsibility at all levels of government that the elected officials like myself have to the people. And I'm glad you brought that up. It's a perfect segue into my next line of questioning because students don't know and of course students don't really understand the election process and they grow up to be adults who don't fully understand the election process. And of course, in 2008, President Obama had a very large number of African-Americans supporting him and who also came out to vote. Actually, it was an unprecedented number. But then when the gubernatorial elections rolled around, you really didn't see that type of voter turnout. So I don't think people really understand the importance of maintaining that type of momentum. And can you explain a, the significance of those type of elections and how they impact a presidency and policies being passed? So, I mean, it's a very, very fair question. Just in the state of South Carolina, uh, when you contrast the national election versus the last uh, general election we had on a statewide level, we almost had one million more people vote in the presidential election uh, versus the general election. The last general election we had, where there were statewide candidates and not presidential candidates, um, we had a 40-year low of voting history. And so here's why that's important to vote on a local level. Take the issue of the Affordable Care Act. Uh, the Affordable Care Act creates health care for millions of Americans um, to purchase on the, on, in the marketplace. Um, it, it is a huge, huge deal, and I applaud the president for passing that. But one of the components was Medicaid expansion. Well, the state had the ability to expand Medicaid, and the federal government would fund those states who were willing to do so and pay 100%, essentially 100% of the cost of those people who weren't buying uh, uh, health insurance on the exchange because they couldn't simply afford it. They didn't make enough money, but they would have been covered on if the state uh, decided to expand Medicaid. Well, if you don't have a governor who believes in health care for all, as in the state of South Carolina, uh, we refuse to accept uh, a Medicaid expansion, and, and it, it essentially means that uh, close to 200,000 people will go without health care. Um, and so those are the kinds of decisions that your, your, your state houses make. The other important decision that your state house and not Congress or the president has anything to do with is uh, redistricting, how the district lines are drawn uh, and what the voting laws are in each state. Uh, that's extremely important because if you have restrictive voting laws, then people uh, may not have the ability to vote. Um, in 2016, in the presidential election, um, there are up to 17 states that have restricted voting laws in place, mainly because of the state legislatures. Uh, collectively, these 17 states have over 110 million people um, that totals about 189 electoral votes of the 270 votes necessary to win the presidency. So state legislators, not Congress, not the president, are responsible for 
the voting laws uh, and also drawing the legislative districts. So those are just two examples of the power of state governments. I referred to the body camera bill uh, that I'm a co-sponsor of. Those uh, those uh, are local issues when it comes to dealing with your local law enforcement. Those are primarily city and uh, state issues. In our case, we passed a statewide mandate requiring uh, all municipalities and counties to have a body camera policy. The president or Congress uh, essentially does not have much to do with local law enforcement policies. Um, and so I, I hope I've been able to, 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 enunci- uh, to expand on your question there. You have. Well, I love, I love that you uh, broke down the public health concerns. Uh, for full disclosure, I worked at the White House Office of Health Reform at the time that the Affordable Care Act was passed. And so I have a very personal um, interest, inkling, and uh, concern about how the promulgation works. And like you said, the, the defunding or refusal by a, a state government to support a federal policy on a state level is something that people have to be aware of. But I think beyond that, I'd like to get from you as an elected official what exactly goes into the process of monitoring this policy as it comes down from a federal level and then trying to make sure that you introduce or navigate the state-level process so that your infrastructure is ready for it. So can you tell the listeners what that process looks like? Because there's separation of the federal and state, and they're sometimes rivaling powers and sometimes powers working in concert. How does that work? Well, um, you know, uh, you know, I think it is important to have state legislators who work in concert with Congress. Um, it, it just turns out that in South Carolina, most of our congressional representatives are Republican. Um, and so I can just speak for myself. I haven't had much um, uh, coordination with uh, the Congress persons uh, in in my district, with the exception of Congressman Jim Clyburn, who has been just a tremendous help. But here's what that means: um, if I have a good relationship with Congress, uh, for example, we just had a uh, historic uh, uh, hurricane that brushed the coast of uh, South Carolina. Um, The governor declared a state of an emergency, and she requested assistance from our Congress uh, persons and the president. Because we have, uh, even though uh, just generally the relationship has not been good between our governor and our president, um, but uh, the president, uh, without politics, uh, putting politics aside, immediately granted that declaration which entitled this state to federal funds to help with emergency assistance, shelter, uh, assistance for evacuation, and now debris cleanup. So if you have a good relationship, with your congressional representatives, um, you can get a lot more done. Uh, Next week I plan to call Congressman Clyburn because public transportation is a major issue in my Senate district. We need greater funding to improve the bus system uh, because that's how working class people, some, get to work. Uh, But we have a very archaic system, a system where It's not very inviting, but there are federal funds uh, that the congressman can help me procure or secure uh, to help uh, our citizens who are relying on public transportation to get to work. So those are a few examples. I think that um, if you are an effective legislator, you want to identify uh, not just 
how uh, the Washington um, uh, representatives can help you, the, rep- the representatives in Congress, but also even at a state, a uh, local level, county uh, council, city council. Um, and you've got to get beyond partisanship because in my case, if I couldn't get along with Republicans, it would be kind of lonely in South Carolina. We may not agree on on a, a lot of things politically, but at the end of the day, uh, there are some things that are just apparently clear, like helping our residents during the time of the flood, uh, that we ought to be all able to agree on and work together. And Senator, speaking of effectiveness of a politician, so um, in recent current events, um, stars such as P. Diddy, and just in general, the general consensus among a lot of African-Americans have been very critical of President Obama's efforts to impact or change the lives of African-Americans. So with you having the expertise and the firsthand experience of negotiate, of dealing with the negotiations between, you know, a bipartisan government, how realistic is it for any politician to have an administration that is geared towards um, changing or impacting the lives of one particular subset of the population versus creating policies that are beneficial for the entire population. Because I feel like people expect the black president to just mainly focus on black issues. And I don't really think people understand what goes on on the Senate floor or the House of Representatives or, or even in just local government, how that works. Can you expound on that? Well, I'm I'm a big fan of the president, and I believe that he has done um, he has uh, done um, as much uh, as he could, given the fact that you have both Congresses dominated by Republicans. I mean, you take the issue of uh, pro- police brutality, uh, negligent police officers. Uh, who have willfully and wantonly uh, with reckless disregard for human life uh, committed murder on many citizens, uh, really when the facts have uh, been totally uncalled for with respect to deadly force. Uh, that, that conversation, but for President Obama being in the White House, I don't think that conversation would be elevated to the level that it it has been. I mean, here you have a Afri- an African American in the White House that frequently speaks about the culture and climate and the interaction uh, that that African Americans have been having with law enforcement. I mentioned the Affordable Care Act. I mean. You know, one of the greatest beneficiaries of providing health care for all have been African-Americans, not just African-Americans, but health care is a major issue in our community. Um, But the president is a president. Um, Presidents file legislations. Uh, A president is not able to vote on legislation on the Senate or House floor. Uh, The president signs the bills passed by Congress. Uh, This president has not been able to get a number of his initiatives through uh, the Congress. And the fact is is that it's both heavily, uh, or at least the House is heavily dominated by uh, Republicans. And uh, in the Senate, uh, we, we have not been the majority we being the Democrats since the president's, I believe, first two years uh, in in the White House. And so it takes more than just the president. Now, listen, could uh, the president do more? Of course. I mean, you know, uh, he is the president, but he's only one person. We all have an obligation, uh, particularly at the state level, to help him carry out his initiative. Um, so it's not just on the president to be the savior uh, of African Americans. Yes, he has a great responsibility, but we all have a responsibility to do and play our effective roles on a state level. I commend this president. He's done an outstanding job. 
Uh, I recently disagreed with uh, him on a bill uh, with respect to the uh, the uh, allowing the victims of 9/11 to sue uh, the Saudi uh, government on behalf of their role in the financings of terror. Uh, so I don't always agree with the president, but most of the time. Uh, I have been a very strong advocate of, of this president, and I think he has done an outstanding job. Uh, but, you know, listen, the fact is is that we aren't all monolithic, and P. Diddy and those others have raised legitimate points. I mean, uh, I listened to um, – I think it was Eric Mike Dyson. He raised uh, in his critique of this president uh, or President uh, Obama, and he raised some legitimate points. We're not going to always agree, uh, and uh, that's what makes us us. Uh, it's incumbent upon those who feel frustrated to peacefully voice their concerns, uh, and that makes us all better public officials because we know that the people are concerned, and so we try to work a little harder on policy and do a little more. Uh, so is he perfect? No, but I think by large uh, he has raised issues uh, because of his race that wouldn't otherwise be raised. I agree with you wholeheartedly. I just wanted to address okay. those concerns. That I've seen on Facebook numerous times from my peers. So thank you for that response. So then, how do we how do we engage and I guess empower people who feel like they've been left out? They they hoped like the last four years would be the the silver bullet, the magic pill, um, a, a, a panacea. Um, and not feeling like that has been fulfilled, um, what should they focus on on a personal, individual level, given that each one has to, to, to take on their responsibility? You know, there are a lot of people out here, I, I talk to them every day, who have a sense of hopelessness. And the reality is, uh, as I mentioned, the president does not vote on legislation. He he cannot pass legislation. He can only sign the bills that have been brought to him. He has used he has though used his executive office uh, to pass executive orders, and one in particular um, will give some hope to people uh, who feel in despair. And it's regarding uh, requiring the federal contractors, uh, companies who do business with the federal government, to pay a higher wage to its employees. Many of the much of the despair and sense of hopelessness is is economic based. Uh, the rich have gotten continued to get richer, and the poor uh, have had to take a back seat when they are mainly the working class is responsible uh, for corporate uh, profits at an all-time high. Uh, all of the you know, metrics that measure commercial activity uh, have stabilized since uh, the president took over. Uh, and many uh, the, the, you know, uh, feel a recovery, uh, particularly if you're in the upper – uh, upper um, income category in, in the country. Um, and so I think that we have to, and I think that's why the choice in this election is so clear. We have to have a candidate who has a working class agenda that's based that will, will, will improve the economic well-being uh, of those who have not seen a pay increase uh, in decades. Uh, you know, the minimum wage, many states track the minimum wage, the federal minimum wage, which is about uh, $7.25 uh, an hour. Uh, even if you work 40 hours a week, you would still be on some government subsistence. It is time to raise the minimum wage to $15 an hour. It actually should be raised higher than that. There's only one candidate even talking about that, and that's uh, Secretary Hillary Clinton. Uh, when you look at public education, 
We have to do a lot more for our teachers. Uh, there are many people who send their kids to public schools, um, and they feel like those are failing schools. The only candidate, and, I, and I'm not trying to be a political advertisement, but these are the issues uh, that African-Americans voters face. I've not seen Donald Trump talking about public education. Secretary Clinton's whole life has demonstrated that she's concerned about the quality of education that our children are offering. So, yes, there's a lot of despair. Uh, there's a sense of hopelessness. I think it starts with economics, and we got to focus on that economic agenda to make sure that people who are earning wages have the ability to earn a livable wage and we also need to talk about procurement for African-American businesses. In the state of South Carolina, particularly in my Senate district, we have work orders for over a billion dollars of uh, public projects. Um, there are very few of us focused on how those dollars are awarded and how we uh, get people who have historically not been a part of that procurement process to the table. We're doing that in Charleston, South Carolina. It's very slow, um, but I think you have to elect leaders who are at least cognizant uh, that this is a problem and are uh, discussing the issues that we are concerned about, uh, like uh, Secretary Clinton and others who are, are, are running for, for office. Uh, this 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 for this general election. So, Senator, for those who are running for office, like how? So, with my generation, of course, I keep making this reference because this is what I'm seeing. People are talking about, well, maybe we should vote for a third party candidate. How realistic is that for that candidate to win, and what impact would it have on the election? Well, it will blow the election voting for a third-party candidate. I mean, listen, if somebody wants to protest, that's not the way to do it. Um, the prime example of that is, uh, I believe, in 2000, Gore v. Uh, the, the, uh, uh, Al Gore versus uh, George Bush. Um, that election was essentially decided by uh, some dangling chads and uh, ballots in Florida. Uh, Al Gore lost. He won the popular vote. Uh, but it came down to the electoral college votes, uh, mainly Florida. He lost Florida by 500 votes, a little bit more than 500 votes. And what you had there is you had Ralph Nader, who was running a third-party candidacy on the ballot. We cannot afford to uh, go into the ballot box and protest by voting for a third-party candidate. If we want to protest, let's use that. Uh, let's use that enthusiasm to elect a president who's at least uh, uh, talking about the issues that concern us, and let's show up in Congress and let's show up uh, at the committee meetings and testify and, and hold this president accountable, somebody who at least has people around her that look like us. Um, so I think we we will do ourselves a disservice, uh, and and quite frankly, you know, I've seen the third party candidates in this race, uh, and and I don't know that any of them, uh, Miss Stein or uh, Gary, uh, I believe his last name is Johnson, any of them have addressed the issues that I've been talking about uh, tonight. Um, if they have, I, I've I've missed them. But 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 the point is is that we are we would be throwing our vote away uh, and helping to elect a man who has demonstrated, uh, and I'm referring to uh, Don Trump, a man who has demonstrated that he does not have our best interest at heart. By voting for a third party candidate, we'd be voting for Donald Trump. Is Thank there you. a path in the bigger picture? I know this might be idealistic, but is there a path past partisanship? We have all these loyalties, and sometimes we need to focus on the issues, uh, the persons, and the policy 
uh, one vote at a time, but sometimes the allegiances to your party keeps people, you know, kind of committed to voting a certain way. Is there a path past partisanship where someone who actually identifies with the people and really wants to see a certain policy passed because it benefits their constituents, not because necessarily it's it's branded yeah. by their political party. Yeah. How, how, how do those people survive in the, the, the very, uh, you know, punitive election uh, and pol- political scene? If I understand your 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 concern or your question is um, one that um, how does someone go about voting for someone who may not be a Democrat um, uh, to support that person because they have a strong policy? Listen, I am not advocating that. Listen, I would love for you to go in and pull the Democratic lever. I'm a I'm a uh, a Democrat. I believe the Democratic Party values reflect uh, many of the values that African Americans are concerned about. Um, but from time to time, we get uh, Republican candidates uh, uh, who uh, have the ability to speak. There are not many of them, uh, but have the ability to speak and address us, particularly on the economic piece. Uh, so I would encourage, uh, you know, citizens have the right to split their uh, their vote. You don't you don't have to pull one lever uh, in a general election. Uh, you can, if if there's a candidate who stands for a particular policy or stands for a particular referendum that you'd like to see passed, uh, then vote for that candidate. Uh, you know, we are not a monolithic uh, group of people. We have different thoughts. Uh, there are some rich African-Americans who, um, you know, uh, if there were any other candidate like Mick Romney or uh, uh, George uh, uh, um, 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 Bush uh, or Marco Rubio on the ballot, they may uh, vote for one of them. Jeb Bush is – I was struggling with his first name. Uh, but there's – to be clear – there is no reason that any African American uh, should go vote for Donald Trump. Uh, that's just how I personally feel. Uh, and, and this is this is this is one of those cases where there's not a close call. Uh, so you can go uh, in a few days. You can go vote uh, for Secretary Clinton for president. And if you think that there's a Republican that uh, is a, uh, on a local office or running for Congress that more mirrors your uh, particular philosophy or there's some referendum, then you should split the ticket. But that, that would be the way to handle that. But the presidential race is not one of those calls. Absolutely agree. So, Senator, this is a personal question, and in regards to Donald Trump, I'm watching these elections. I've watched the the campaign unfold, and I have a hard time believing that he actually believes what comes out of his mouth. So do you think, A, he actually believes it, or he has identified America's Achilles heel, and he is pandering to the masses, specifically the Republican, the very conservative right-wing Tea Party Republican base to win the election? Because this is kind of scary to me that you can actually have a man who could say such vile, hateful, mean things and who have managed to alienate every racial, ethnic group in the country except for probably white males. And some of them he's managed to turn off. Like, is this real? Are we really living in these times? Yeah, yeah. Oh, man, that's a tough question. And I ask myself, that same thing all the time. I just uh, was watching one of his uh, uh, one of his communications people stumble through an interview, uh, and the question is, uh, did she really say what she just said? You know, uh, there are many of us that are living in a reality uh, show, uh, and I think that's what, um, in part, what Donald Trump is known as. Um, he has come into the majority party. They, they, they hold the majority of seats in the Senate, and they, have, they hold the majority seats in the House. 
as a new newbie, uh, I don't know when he started identifying himself as a Republican, but he sensed that there were a number of frustrated citizens, and he pandered to that group. Uh, he says anything that uh, he thinks will excite that base core group, and that's how he essentially won the primary. You had all of these uh, moderate to conservative Republicans running, and they were splitting each other's vote. None of them ever thought about sitting that, sit, sitting down and, and trying to get together. Uh, they divided each other's vote, and he won with that block of vote. I think what uh, Donald Trump is betting on is that People are going to be uh, uh, apathetic uh, and discouraged and just stay home. But his base, his loyal base, the base that he won the Republican primary, those, those people are fired up, and they're going to vote for him. It doesn't matter what he says. I mean the guy just has essentially uh, uh, admitted to a sex crime. Uh, on on tape, I understand he he knew he was being taped uh, when he was on the oh, bus wow. uh, with with Bush uh, a few years ago, and he is essentially admitted to a sex crime, and and in some kind of way he's trying to rationalize his actions by locker room talk. Well, I don't know if you've seen Donald Trump lately. I'm sure you have. He doesn't ever look like he's <laughs> ever been in a locker room. And I don't believe he played any sports in college, so I don't, I'm not sure what locker room he's talking about. But the guy has no shame. But his objective is to uh, create a level of despondency in the electorate so that people get discouraged and stay home and don't vote. But he knows his loyalists are going to turn out, and they're going to turn out numbers. I was just looking at the South Carolina voter registration numbers, and the registration numbers are up, but I'm scared at the counties, the counties where the increase is apparent. Uh, these are very, very uh, – we got 300, almost 260,000 new voters, but where the voters are coming from, where the increases are, uh, with the exception of one county, uh, all of these are Republican conservative uh, counties. Now, I don't know what's happening nationally, um, but listen, we cannot take this election for granted. We have a loose cannon who has bamboozled and hoodwinked an entire party into his way and being at the top of a ticket, uh, and this guy means serious business. When he talks about law and order, uh, and going backwards rather than forwards, those are code words that we all should be very afraid of, uh, and I'm just not um, um, talking about us being scared, but we have a good alternative. I mean, Secretary Clinton is not a perfect candidate by far, but the woman has done an amazing – she has an amazing work track record. And the thing is, is that the level of distrust that Americans register against her, most of which is unfounded. Uh, there are a lot of there's a lot of gossip and there's a lot of rumor and in, in, innuendo. Uh, she's never been uh, found guilty of a crime, uh, and they keep talking about her husband like somehow he's on the ballot. This is this is not a reality show. We should all be concerned, and we should all. Uh, we all uh, should be excited, quite frankly, about going out in a few days and voting and participating uh, so that we can elect not just a president, but there, there are many congressional and senatorial races uh, on the down ballot as well. So, Mr. S Senator, please tell us, uh, in brief, because it's super important, just repeat again the voter ID rights, especially for your constituents, so they're aware. And then tell us, what is next for you, Senator? Do we have a possible run for the governorship? Do we have a run <laughs> for a federal congressional office? Please tell us. So let me let me take your first question um, back to your 
your voter rights. Um, there are a couple of websites that I'm going to commend uh, your listeners. Uh, the a- NAACP has a great website on voter protection. The ACLU, uh, depending upon what state you live in, the state election commissions uh, talk about your rights and uh, what you will and will not be allowed to do. And then the United States uh, Civil Rights Commission has a great web page about voting uh, in this election. Um, I would say that if you go to the polls, this is a general rule of thumb that I think is applicable in every state. At minimum, you ought to be allowed to cast a provisional ballot. That is a ballot uh, where it's counted at the end uh, uh, after um, after all of the main ballots or people who did not have problems. Those ballots are counted. Uh, the provisional ballots are, 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 are counted afterwards. They got to find out whether or not you were an eligible voter. Um, but at least you have had an opportunity to cash your ballot, and a legal argument can be made after that point. But at least you have your ballot cast, and it will just be a determination upon uh, afterwards whether or not that ballot uh, was eligible. You saw that in Florida in 2000. Uh, there were 36 days of recounts. So I would encourage each and every one of your listeners – uh, most of this is computerized now. You just type your name. You go onto the, your state election commission website, type your name, and it will show you what precinct you vote in, uh, and it will also tell you what you need to vote. Um, we got to be very careful because, as I mentioned, there are 17 states that have passed some uh, restrictive voting measures. So you, you know, uh, for South Carolina, it was uh, uh, voter photo ID. Um, but there are some ways around that. So you'll just have to, to your respective state election commission, to find out the rules. Know the rules, but if all else fails, ask for a provisional ballot. As far as uh, me, I have a very, very, uh, very, very um, intense law practice. I'm a lawyer by trade. I love what I do. I represent a number of states and cities and counties against corporations. Uh, that have defrauded uh, people who have their retirement savings, and I recruit those losses for the beneficiaries. Uh, in other words, I take uh, from corporations when they've done wrong, and I give the money back to the people. Uh, that's very rewarding. That's my line of business. Um, now, if I were to seek a higher office, uh, that would essentially mean I'd have to give up my full-time law practice. So that's a consideration. I have a young family. Uh, my wife, uh, have a da- we have a daughter three years old. Um, and so, um, you know, what's next for me? I'm leaving, leaving all options open. There's some talk about me running for governor. I want to see uh, what the results are in South Carolina's election before I uh, seriously consider that. But, uh, you know, the good thing about my position is uh, I can uh, keep my full-time job and still be in the Senate. The Senate here in South Carolina is a part-time job. We're in from January to June, and I have a very cooperative law firm that allows me to be gone uh, essentially six months, um, and I have to work double time uh, from uh, from July to December to catch up. So I'm going to stay engaged. I'm going to be uh, firing up the troops hopefully getting a big turnout for uh, Secretary Clinton. And uh, I think it's very important for your generation to be uh, continue to be passionate, continue to uh, uh, be active. I love this radio show uh, because that is taking the message to the people and giving people something, some nuggets that they can use so that uh, they have some uh, solid information, and, and, and uh, hopefully they will stay engaged because you're giving the, them these nuggets um, to get them involved. Well, thank you, Senator Kempson, for coming on the show tonight. 
we're just about out of time, but I really appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule and especially talking to us at such late times on the, I know it's late on the East coast. So really, really appreciate it. <laughs> Thank you yeah. so much. All right. Peace out. Peace. Bye-bye. Miss Kaish, what a great informative show tonight. Absolutely, absolutely. I'm so super excited that we got a, a public servant who can tell us um, step by step what his view is, what his process is, and what the constituents should be conscious of because it, it can be some sort of mystery sometimes for people who are not uh, readily informed with the correct information. Education is not always accurate information, so I'm very excited that he was able to share with us. I am too, and of course, you know, I kept referencing our generations. That's because I see so much on Facebook uh, from my peers who don't want to vote, don't feel like voting for whatever reason. So hopefully when this podcast drops, um, they can be well informed and hopefully it would galvanize them and inspire them to go vote for Hillary Clinton because we cannot afford to have Donald Trump in the office. Well, people, thank you for tuning in once again to the Brown Sugar and Spice show. We will resume in November with some great guests coming on. So once again, good night. Peace. Good night. <laughs> Thank you.